So I was working at Dutch Miller Hyundai in Huntington, West Virginia. Now, some of you guys know Dutch Miller Kia because they have the most bizarre commercials ever. Um, get on YouTube later and look up Dutch Miller Kia. He is the guy who, during a video, like marathon, like the, like the, the cellathon, like they do where they bring all the cars by during commercials, ate the home wrecker from Hibley Hot Dog, which is a one-pound hot dog with a one pound of toppings on it, and he puked on live television and sold a bunch of cars. Um, it was amazing. But I worked for his brother at Dutch Miller Hyundai, and I'll be honest to say, I, I didn't like it. Uh, it was not the most fun job I've ever had. And anything I say from here on out, if you drive a Hyundai, I don't mean anything by it, but just you'll see here where I'm going in a second. Uh, the way it worked selling cars is that people would come in, and we'd always be in, we'd always kind of have like an honor system. So if like Don Tani comes into the store to buy a car, the first person that got there that morning, salesman, would have the first opportunity. The second person came through, the second person that got there that morning would have the next opportunity. And we just rotated that way. It was an honor system. We took care of each other. Well, this guy pulls in a vehicle, comes in, this white Mercedes-Benz SUV, beautiful car. I'm sitting there thinking, are you trading that in? But he pulls in, walks through the door, and it's my turn, which I'm excited uh, because I'll just be honest with you, I saw the vehicle, I'm like, cha-ching. And as he pulls in there, he opens the door, says, I'm here to buy a car. I'm like, great. I'm the guy you need to see. Like, I'm sitting there thinking, no one walks into a car lot saying, I'm ready to buy a car because now you're going to, no one actually follows it up by buying a car. They just spend three hours looking at every single color, every single color pattern, and then they finally say, I'm going to go to Chevy instead. Yeah, waste my time. Uh, I'm like, great. I'm the one that you need to see. He goes, great. My name's Vince Papado. I'm a doctor. That's cool. Why did you? Okay. And I had no idea why those guys felt necessary to tell me he was a doctor. But the story gets even better because what happened was, it was her 16-year-old girl. She just celebrated her sweet 16. And in no way, anything I say from here on out is condemning them for the way they awarded their daughter, rewarded their daughter. But they had a sweet 16 party where they gave her a black BMW SUV for her birthday, which would be cool. I mean, sometimes I wish I'd be adopted by this guy, but whatever. Um, she did not like the black BMW. <coughs> she wanted the white Mercedes like mom and dad. So they came to Hyundai. Now, again, no offense if you drive a Hyundai. I'm just, you, I think you guys understand this. Mercedes, BMW, Hyundai. It's like putting WVU in the same class as Alabama and Clemson. You just don't do that. It's just it's not going to happen. It just doesn't make sense. Ohio State's category, is that better for you? This doesn't make sense. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's go look around. And so they had a lot of demands from here on out. Like they, I spent two hours with them, and it was awful. Uh, we went from every single Hyundai Santa Fe on the lot to every single one that was in the garage ready to go on the lot. There were some that were still up on the, like, the lifts, and they wanted to like, lower it down so I can look in it. I'm like, no one's working today. It's a Saturday. I'm not going to do it myself. I'm not allowed to do that. It was awful. After two hours, they didn't even buy a car. I was so mad. But I was told five times, I'm a doctor. And then finally, the fifth time, I said, I'm a salesman. Like, <laughs> your identity, my identity, let's make a deal here. Like, right, let's, let's get on with this. Their entire purpose as a family, their entire identity was wrapped up in dad's identity. It was insane. I'm like, I don't care that you're a doctor. I mean, what kind of doctor? Like, I might need to come see you, you know, make a deal. I'll come make a deal with you. Like, you know, scratch my back, you scratch my back, or tell me what's on my back. I don't know how that works. Um, 
But I was really hoping he would buy something, but he didn't. It was, it was quite annoying, though, because I don't know how many people start off a conversation with what they do for a job. Like the first thing that comes out of their mouth, I'm a doctor. No, I don't run around saying I'm a pastor, because usually that ends the conversation. Um, <laughs> I think that's the same thing for Tony Foreman. But that's just, you know, I, Ryan, is it the same for you in your occupation? Yeah, every single time. I'm a lawyer. Okay. I'll call you when I need you. It's the same thing for pastors, sadly. But tonight we're going to talk about this identity crisis that we see in our world, this identity that we all build up, that we all have some identity, whether it's formed by where we live, formed by who we are, formed by what we do for a living, whose spouse we are. And tonight we're going to do a series, this is the kickstart to a series called Mirrors. And the idea of it is when we look into a mirror, what identity uh, do we see? So to start off, on your papers, you have a question at the very beginning. Where is this blank? Two blanks. It says, your name here. So easy. Write your name there. And in the second blank, I want you, don't think about just first quick reaction. What is the first thing that pops into your head when, you, when someone says, describe yourself? What is a descriptor of you? What is your identity? What is the first thing that pops into your head? Write it down. Most of the time, if we're being honest, if we describe ourselves, usually we're gonna, the first thing that pops into our head may not always be the best thing about us. May not be the best thing about us. In, in art class, which I, for some reason, excelled at in high school, a few classes, but I excelled at that one, the worst project I ever had to do was we had to sit there and look at a mirror and then draw ourselves. Yes, ew, it was terrible. Not because I was looking at myself, but just because of the project. Like, it was terrible because you know what we do? When you look at yourself, you point out every insecurity, you point out every flaw. Like, remember those caricature artists that, like, show you every flaw? Yeah, mine was worse than that. Like, it was terrible. But at the, it actually was a good idea for reflection because our identity is wrapped up in a lot of different things. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And so, you know, if I ask a question, like, how would you even introduce yourself? How would you even introduce yourself to somebody? If, if, if you're the case like Vince and you walk around saying, hey, everybody, I'm a doctor. But what if you use that one word that you just wrote down? What if that one word that describes you, if that was the way you introduced yourself? Now, you might think, I'll never do that. I would never introduce myself as a doctor. I would never introduce myself as a pastor or a lawyer or whatever it is that you put down. But in all reality, you guys do this all the time. All the time. Not just kids. Adults do it too, and I'll explain. I did some research, meaning I scrolled through social media. That's how we researched today. On every one of our Instagram accounts, for those of us who have Instagram, Facebook kind of does this too. You know, you have your name, your username, and then right here, the very next line is your bio, right? Where you have just a few short spaces to tell the entire world who you are. And some of you guys put down, put down some really interesting things. Some of you guys took the time to make sure everybody knew what your Visco accounts were. Uh, everyone made sure, yeah, what? I'm with you. Some of you made sure that you told what school and grade you were in, which is really weird for some of the adults. Um, some of you guys put Christ follower. Awesome. Some of you guys put where you live, not like address. Mom, dad, don't freak out. Just like Vienna. Uh, some of you guys put favorite sports teams. Well done. Some of you guys put your status, whether you are single and ready to mingle. If you're dating, if you're engaged, married, whatever you are. Some of you guys, adults, put your businesses, 
You're promoting not only yourself, but your business. Some of you guys put what sports you play. My favorite, he'll know exactly who I'm talking about, just a son making dad jokes. Well done, Hudson. <laughs> That's your bios that you guys put. That's how you tell the world who you are. That's your identity. But it's not even just in those bios. The pictures we post after that either support that or contradict it. Because if you start to scroll down through that, you will either find supporting the evidence or contradicting evidence. Mine, this is not bragging, I did not change it just for tonight's message. It's been this way for a while. says, Jesus follower, husband, father, and student pastor. Only reason it says that is because I want people to know in the list of my priorities, that's how it goes. That's how I identify. But if I'm being honest with you guys, if you guys were to take any second and just scroll, you may not see that that's the priority. It's just Sadie after Sadie after Sadie after Sadie after Sadie. Oh, there's Katie. Sadie, Sadie, Sadie. And you would think that my number one priority is being a dad. And then all of a sudden you'll see, oh, there's a picture of some kids at whatever youth event. And you're like, oh, he loves being a student pastor. But you can get all of a sudden, if I go through your alls, does it support it? Does it contradict it? Because what we post is actually showing us how we kind of identify but if I'm being honest with you, there are times where that is the case, where I, or I look at myself, I say, I identify myself as a student pastor. The, the, that very first time I ever answered that question that you guys put earlier, the very first word that popped in my head wasn't husband, wasn't father, it was pastor. That's just the first thing that went to my head. And there are times where I am very much all about the pastor life, where I'm here for everybody, I'm available to everybody, at the sake of neglecting my family, my other, my other activities, my friends, because I'm so wrapped up in what I do. There are times where I'm, I'm even wrapped up in just my marriage. You're like, how is that a bad thing? Well, when you prioritize so much your marriage over every other thing, all of a sudden I'd have no need for friends anymore. I'm neglecting my, my social life. I'm neglecting my spiritual life. And there are times where I don't want to be all up in my parenting, because I told, I told my student leaders earlier, the nastiest blowout you have ever seen happened yesterday. It was everywhere. White fleece and poop don't mix. I'm just saying, it was disgusting. It was one of those moments where, uh-uh. But not only that, not only my priorities, there are times, and you guys do this too, where you allow every other person to identify you, to give you your identity. I allow people to do this as a student pastor, as a pastor. When I allow someone else to view me only as a pastor, guess what? I am now at their disposal. I'm just a means to an end. All I am is a solution to their problem, and their problem requires my constant attention on the moment when it happens. Now, what's the problem with that? I have problems. I have a wife. I have kids. I can't be there for every single one of those moments. You're not the only person in the entire church, let alone the entire world. It's not just that. There are times where I allow other people to identify me as Katie's husband. Spouses, you may have been there before. It's actually a very rare occasion in, my, in our marriage life to, that I am known as Katie's husband. But when I first got involved in a, a ministry called Emmaus, everyone referred to me as Katie's husband. Well, then we get to churches, and ever, a lot of people know Katie as Scott's wife. And when they refer to her as Scott's wife, what they now to do is ne- completely neglect all of her spiritual gifts, all of her opportunities, all of her good characteristics, and all that she is wrapped up in who I am, not who she is. 
It's a terrible thing. And when I look across this room, one of the joys and one of the heartaches of student ministry is watching you guys figure out who you are. It either wrecks me or it excites me. Because all it is, it's, it's a constant like battle within yourselves. Because you go from place to place, and in one place you might be this person, and then you come to church and now you're this person, but then you go home and now you're this person. And so I can sit around talking to your friends or talking to your parents or talking to your coach and say, which one's the real Tony Foreman? And I might hear five different answers. And I'm just left to battle like, which one is it? But as much as I battle watching it, this is the battle that's going on in all of our heads. It's very difficult to watch. So in the midst of an identity crisis, I'm not talking about what Ryan Elliott's going through in a couple, couple years when he hits 50. I'm just kidding. No, this identity crisis of who am I? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? How, who am I supposed to be? In the midst of all this, here's a very important thing for you to remember. Kind of the two big takeaways I want you to hear tonight. The first, your identity has nothing to do with what you do. Your identity has nothing to do with what you do. I could care less that Vince was a doctor. In that moment, all I cared was that he was going to buy a Hyundai or not. And I'm glad he didn't. But he, he, I mean, I wanted the money, but, you know, he had a BMW. Uh, High State WVU, remember. Um, it has nothing to do with what you do. If, if your entire identity is wrapped up in what you do, you're going to be the one who's 35 still wearing your Letterman jacket. Where you're living back over the glory days saying, I remember when I was in high school on that track team and the soccer team and the basketball team and the football team. I never actually played. I just got a Letterman jacket because I was there and I got a participation award. But your entire life is now wrapped up in what you did back then. And you have no meaning now. You have no purpose now. Your identity has nothing to do with what you do. Your, when you guys get jobs, it will have nothing to do with what you do for a living. That will not be, nobody knows what Dave Medley does for a living, which makes it really easy for us to not identify him with his work because we have no idea what he does. That's a great quality. But you guys, when you guys get jobs one day, you cannot be wrapped up in what you do. The second thing I also want you guys to hear is your identity has everything to do with who you belong to. Who you belong to. And we all belong to something or somebody. If we, if we belong to sports, our identity is in sports. If we belong only to our parents, our identity is only in our parents. If we belong only to our struggles, then we only identify with our struggles. Your identity has everything to do with who you belong to. And tonight we're going to talk more about how we belong to Jesus. And tonight we're going to start a series in James chapter 1. Before we do that, I'm going to remind you of a quote that I've shared numerous times, and I believe Dave still has this above his desk. You know where I'm going. I think you do. My parents from day one, one quote, remember whose child you are. Changed my life. Remember whose child you are. It wasn't just, hey, when you leave this house, you're a McClure, you're rich in Maryland's son. It wasn't just that. My mom and dad taught me from a very young age, when you leave this house, you're not, house, you're not only representing us, you're representing the Lord. So don't screw it up and make mom and dad look bad, make Jesus look bad. Remember whose child you are. We all belong to somebody. And we're going to spend time in the book of James, and I was telling Tony this the other day, we're going to spend the next 
few months actually through the book of James. I got really excited because this is my favorite book in the New Testament. I love this book. It's the very first book of the Bible I ever actually sat down and studied. It was in college, freshman year of college, and I absolutely loved it because it's so practical and so simple. But then I got overly excited because I was, as I was planning out the messages, I found, there's five chapters, just five. I found myself May 31st, and I was only in chapter two. And Tony was like, I think you should like, you know, spread it out a little bit more because you get three chapters you're not going to be able to hit on over the summer. I'm like, okay. So I calmed down a little bit, but that's just how excited I am about this book. But to jump into this, the first question is, who is James? Who is the writer? His name is James. Who is he? Here's how I want us to do this. I need somebody. I'm going to have some people out here read for me. I need somebody to go to Matthew 13, verse 54 through 55. Someone out here, someone raise their hand. Tell me get, you got it. Come on. Joe Lizer's got Matthew 13, 54 through 55. I need someone to read Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Raise your hand. Just go to read. Thank you, Wyatt. In the third, I need someone to read John 7, verse 1 through 5. Raise a hand. All right, Mabry's got it. Matthew 13 is on page 769 if you need it. Mark 3 is on 787. John 7 is on 839. Hudson will also put them on the screen. You ready, Joseph? All right, first one. Matthew chapter 13, 54 to 55. All right, who's James? Jesus read it. The brother. James is the brother of Jesus. A lot of people don't realize that Jesus had siblings. He had the, you know, the Immaculate Conception where he was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but there were still other children. He had brothers and sisters. Uh, thank you. The next one, Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Who, I don't remember why you had it. What did James say about his brother? Yeah, he starts mocking his brother. James was a mocker of his own brother, Jesus. James mocked Jesus. He comes to the hometown where Jesus is doing ministry. He sees all the great signs that he's doing. And then Jesus is teaching in this crowded area. And when his family approaches, they're like, oh, this guy's clearly out of his mind. He's clearly insane, which is typically what a younger brother says about the oldest brother, right? But in this case, older brother's... God, so you can never live up to that one. John 7, who had it? Mabry. <laughs> Verse 1 through 5. Just freeze on that one right there. Good job. What up, Mabry? What does it say? For not even his brothers, what does it say? James was a skeptic of Jesus. Not only was he the brother of Jesus, he was also a mocker of Jesus. He was also a skeptic. 
after all the great signs, everything that he has seen, that comes to this point where Jesus is getting ready to go to Judea, and James comes to him and says, listen, you should go to this area. It may not be safe for you, but you should go because you should reveal yourself to everybody. Tell them who you really are. Show them who you really are because it's one thing to say who you are. It's time to show who you are. James did not believe in his brother. He did not believe that his brother truly was the son of God. That's a, a lot of things to add on one person. Their identity was he was a brother of Jesus. He was a mocker of Jesus, and then he was a skeptic of Jesus. But it's not just how James ends. His story continues. The next time we see him, I need two people again, one in Galatians 2, verse 9. Somebody raise their hand, or I'll pick you. Kate's got it. Galatians 2, 9. Somebody go to James chapter 1, verse 1. Someone other than White, you already read. Somebody from this table. Julie's got it. James chapter 1, verse 1. That's who James was. Who did James become? So a a lot of time goes by between these passages. Galatians 2.9. Cuts and keep that one up on the screen. You can read the screen if you're not there yet. Cephas. All right, real easy. Go back. So last time we see James, he's a brother of Jesus, he's a mocker of Jesus, he's a skeptic of Jesus. And now, Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, just called him a pillar. He's a pillar of the church now. He has gone from crazy younger brother who thinks older brother's a nut job to being a pillar of the church, a church leader. A massive man in the church. He's part of the foundation of who all the church is. He's so important here. A little bit later, he shows up in Acts also. And James, a couple times in Acts, is once defending the church, telling them to come back to the real truth. It's amazing where James comes from. And now we go to James chapter 1, and we can all turn our Bibles there. It's on page 950. We'll spend the rest of the time there. James chapter 1, verse 1. Who had it? Julie's got it. That's good. That's actually all I need. Well done. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he has gone from brother of Jesus, mocker of Jesus, skeptic of Jesus, skeptic of Jesus, a pillar of the church, and now he just labeled himself servant of the Lord and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a long transition and a long transformation that James has gone through. It wasn't just like an overnight kind of thing. A lot of time has passed by. How is it even possible that someone who was skeptic, mocking his brother, could now say, I am now a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ? The word he uses, doulos, which translates servant, but also can mean slave. He is now saying, I'm not just a mocker of, I'm no longer a mocker of Jesus. I'm no longer a skeptic of him. I am now a slave to Jesus. Notice how he doesn't say James, the brother of Jesus. He's not using that as a title. The book of Jude is written by one of Jesus' other brothers. Jude doesn't say this either. They no longer identify just as Jesus' brother. Can you imagine just how much credibility it would actually given him? Had he been like, oh yeah, I'm Jesus' brother. 
That would actually given him more prominence. That would have given him a lot more opportunity. They would love to know Jesus' brother. But he comes here and he says, no, I am a doulos, which means servant, a slave to the Lord. And what he's saying here is actually kind of interesting. Not only am I, a, he says, not only am I a slave and I serve him, I'm also a spokesperson for him. Everything I have is submission to him. Everything I have is for him. So he's gone from mocker and skeptic to now a slave. And he gives himself the lowly title of slave, but he gives two titles to Jesus. First is that he gives him the name Christ, which means anointed one, which means he had a special anointing, a special opportunity placed, a special purpose on him. He's saying Jesus had a special purpose from the very beginning. And not only that, the second title he gives him is in the end there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord means as a personal name of God, the name Yahweh, which is the most, that name that's above every other name. He's basically saying, not only am I a servant to God, I am servant to the Lord Yahweh in flesh, Jesus Christ, the anointed one who had a special purpose. And in that time period, they're all under Roman control. This area is all under Roman control. And as a citizen of Rome, you were, post, you were supposed to worship Rome, worship its leaders. You would say, Caesar is Lord. Christians would stand on their tracks and say, no, 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 no. We don't say Caesar is Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. And because of that, persecution happened frequently. People would lose their lives. Apostles lost their lives multiple times because they refused to say Caesar was Lord. But this is the environment that they were living then. But how in the world does somebody go from mocker and skeptic to now saying, I'm a slave to the Lord Most High? What did it take? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Someone go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If it's easier, Hudson will just put it on the screen, verses 3 through 7. And we'll read it off there. 1 Corinthians 15, give me a volunteer. There you go, Ryan Elliott. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 3 through 7, yeah. Did you catch that? Last verse. Paul's telling them in 1 Corinthians how he received, how he received the blessings of God, how he received the teaching of God. And then he comes to verse 7. He says, Jesus appeared to who? James. He appeared to the multitude. He appeared to 500 people. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to the women who came to the tomb. And then it says there at the end, and at the end, he appeared to James. So James, little baby brother, little baby brother James, who mocked his brother, who said, my brother's crazy, who now watched him die, and three days later, now he's standing right in front of him. First off, imagine the guilt and the shame that would be on James. I'm sorry for mocking you. I'm sorry I never believed in you, but now you're here, and don't, don't kill me. Uh, I know you, now you can probably do that. But after that moment, we see this change. So why did this happen? How did this happen? It's real clear. J James had an encounter 
with the risen Lord. It's one thing, had James' life been changed, had he just heard about this. It's one thing if James had just saw the empty tomb. A writer named N.T. Wright said this, and I like this. It says, Neither the empty tomb by itself nor the appearance by themselves could have generated the early Christian belief. So what he's saying, not just the appearance of Jesus could do this, but says the empty tomb alone would be a puzzle and a tragedy. So not only would just seeing a person, not only just seeing an empty tomb, seeing those things differently would not do enough. It says, however, an empty tomb and an appearance on a living Jesus. So the tomb and the living Jesus right there was enough because it presented a powerful reason for an emergence of the belief. These disciples, all these people, and James himself could have just lived on had they just heard about someone's sighting. They could have lived on had they only seen an empty tomb because someone could have stolen the body. Other people who, who saw him, they may have had hallucinations. We don't really know. But James not only saw the empty tomb, he saw his brother standing right in front of him. And because of that, because of that encounter with Jesus, his life was changed and everything changed after that. This is where he found his new identity. And in his change in identity, it gave him new activity and it gave him a new purpose. I didn't have the last one, but it says purpose. His change in identity gave him a new activity and a new purpose. What I mean by that? Because what I said earlier, who you are is not determined by what you do, but who you are does determine what you do. Like who you are does determine what you do, but you're not determined by what you do. Does that make sense? Your identity is not shaped by what you do, but your identity does shape what you do. It brings about a new activity. It brings about a new purpose. James now had new purpose in life. He no longer was going to be the skeptic. He was no longer going to be the one mocking his brother. He was now going to be a servant to his brother. And from this point forward, everything shifted. He was, he was being transformed. He was being conformed to the image of God. So 2,000 years later, we sit here tonight reading this letter that we're going to read for the next few months. Next few weeks, we're going to talk about identity. What does this have to do with you and I? As I said earlier, your identity has nothing to do with what you do. Stop believing the lie that what you do determines your identity. Just because you sing songs on stage, that's not your identity. Just because you play a sport, that's not your identity. It's not how it works. The second thing, your identity has everything to do with who you belong to. That if we as Christians, we say we belong to Jesus, then that should change everything. It should change how we live. It should change how we talk. It should change how we think. It should change how we act and look. So my simple question for you tonight as you think through this is who do you belong to? As I said earlier, we all belong to something. So who do you belong to? Another way of wrapping your mind around this is who or what are you currently serving? James belonged to Jesus because he served him. And he worshipped him. He declared him Lord. He belonged to him because he served him. What do you serve? And you might think, well, how do I know that question? Answer that question. What do you give your attention to? What do you give your money to? What do you give all your time to? What do you give all your focus to? That's what you serve. If it's your family, then you're serving your family. You spend all your money on video games, then you're serving video games. That's what you belong to. 
Are you serving Jesus? But you can clearly say tonight that I serve Jesus. I've, I've said he's Lord. I've said he's my ultimate purpose. He's given me new meaning. He's given me a new opportunity. That's great. I hope all of us can say that. Next question, are you serving yourself? See, what happens is, and when we have this identity crisis, here's what a lot of us do, and I've seen this from time and time again, my own life and a lot of people around me. In your head, you have this amazing identity that you have built up. This is the image I need. This is the image I want to be. This is how I want to look. This is how I want to think. This is how I want to vote. This is how I want to dress. This is what kind of haircut I want to have. This is how many people I want to have on social media following me. And so what you now do is you give all of your attention, all of your money, all of your resources, and you neglect every single thing else in pursuit of that. And now what you've done is now created an idol of you. And that idol of you is going to wreck your life. Simple truth. And all you're doing is serving yourself. You might be serving others. On the opposite side of that spectrum, I see this too. All you want to do, your entire purpose of life is now set up so you fulfill the identity of somebody else. Somebody along the way has said one thing about you. They said, you know what? You're the terrible kid in class. So now your entire mindset is, I have to do every single thing to be that terrible kid in class. So I will live up to that. I have fought with other youth pastors when I've said there's no such thing as a bad kid. Because sometimes what we do as youth pastors is get around for some reason, I don't like it, and we compare how bad our kids are. Well, I had a kid get caught with drugs the other day. Well, that's cool. No, they do this. And I say, no, 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 there's no such thing as a bad kid. Because once we label them as a bad kid, they're only going to operate under that inside that box. You are now trying to limit yourself by following in line with what someone else says about you. Who are you serving? Yourself or others? Who do you belong to? If the answer to that question is not Jesus, let me promise you something. Anything you find in life will only bring pain, emptiness, and you'll never find satisfaction. Simple truth. My favorite passage in Jeremiah verse two, four, two, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me as Lord. And second, they have, broken, they have dug broken cisterns, broken wells that cannot hold water. What we do when we identify ourselves by anything other than Jesus is that we're digging wells that cannot hold water. All you'll find at the bottom of that well is nothing but emptiness. When we, all we do is forsake the one who's given us everything. So to wrap up, here's the final thing I want you to remember. Is that if we belong to Jesus, he will transform us and he will conform us to his image. Not your image, his image. I don't want to look like Scott McClure. I don't. I, want, I don't want you all to see me and only see Scott McClure because Scott McClure has a lot of flaws. Scott McClure can sometimes be arrogant. Scott McClure can sometimes have a bad mouth. I don't want that. Think about yourself. When you look back in the mirror, do you want to see you or do you really want to see Jesus? What you see in the mirror, what you see determines who you are and what you belong to. Out of that new identity that you have in Jesus, new activity will flow and you'll find new purpose. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about next week. Now that new identity, now that we have that, how do we 
have perspective when we face trials? And the week after that, how do we do when we face temptation? Where does temptation even come from? That's where we're going to be the next few weeks. But let me pray, and then we're going to sing, and then we'll go to life groups together.